Welcome to Women Read Scripture, Come Follow Me. Today we're going to be discussing Matthew 4 and Luke chapters 4 and 5. To start with, in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, it says, There was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. The interesting thing here is we have some Joseph Smith translation edition. And it says here in the Joseph Smith translation, when it says, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Joseph Smith says, To be with God, which is a pretty significant change. And then in verse 2, it says, After the fasting of 40 days and 40 nights, it says, He was afterward and hungered, and here it says, and had communed with God, he was afterwards and hungered, and was left to be tempted of the devil. So I know, um, Annette, you have some thoughts on that and fasting and how that helps us commune with God. Thank you so much, Mariana, for reading those um, two versions of the scriptures, because there's no question in my mind that this was one of those moments when the idea of canon, canon is scripture that is considered scripture um, universally, that it is inspired writing given to us by God. Different groups have different canons. Mm-hmm. The Bible is a recognized canon by many. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also recognize the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and We have been blessed to have had our prophet Joseph Smith read the Bible very carefully, asking for inspiration. Canon comes from a Greek word, which is canon, canon, and it's spelled with a K. Anyway, in English, they spell it with a K. In Greek, they spell it with Greek letters. It means a straight rod or ruler used to measure or test for straightness. I thought that was very interesting. We all say it's a straight rod. Well, the Be- iron rod. Exactly. Mormon. I mean, I mean, how amazing, it really. Amazing. But um, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, verse 16, 2 Timothy, verse 16, Paul advises us, he advises Timothy, actually, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the real key for evaluating what is canon is, is this writing given in a very particular way by the inspiration of God? Oh, and, and I felt as I was studying these two mighty verses of Matthew 4, Jesus having been led into the wilderness to be with the devil to, or to be with God made so much more sense to me. There are other scriptures like that where Joseph Smith made what was actually word-wise a very small modification, but the meaning was illuminated enormously. And we, as we've been studying the scriptures in such depth, we've been studying a lot about translation and how translation occurs and going back and looking at the words and what the words actually meant and certain words you know, in, in, for example, the Hebrew Bible, which was newly tra- now a new translation of Old Testament um, done by Roger Alter, you'll find a word in his, this word, you know, really is, has all of these meanings, and it seems this one is more important. But what more pure way to translate them by pure inspiration? And I felt that this was that. So Jesus, who I have to believe, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be with God and prepare for this enormous mission that he had been given, chose to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. It is kind of an awesome idea to be able to fast that long because I know for me, fasting one day and one night is it's hard. A lot. I once fasted for three days and three nights, and it was before I said yes to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was grateful because I really felt I needed a strong confirmation, which I, I did and I received. But fasting is an ancient practice that is 
used by has been employed by many many faiths. Um, fasting is an opportunity to sacrifice, to give up to the sacred. We've talked about that. I love that word, and I'll <laughs> always repeat it because I love it so. Something we have, we have, which is the opportunity to eat and drink. Um, but it is also a way to pull us out of the daily grind of our habits and the things we need to do. It is a way to clear our slate and to clean our inner vessel. And I, I feel what a wonderful example the Savior gave us to go into the wilderness and fast, to put himself in harmony with the Lord's will. He was the Lord, but he wanted to be in harmony with his Father yeah. as well. Um, I know in the church we fast. I thought I'd ask you just to explain a little bit, Christine, how we fast in church on a regular basis. Well, it is interesting because so many people do it differently, but I think it's very clarified that it is um, either 24 hours or two meals without food or water. And that um, it, I'm going to ask you, Mariana, because do you remember reading it recently? Because it changed, I think, for, to the two meals. It, it used, used to be sundown to sundown. That's right. I still right. But it's that was... but it's not. It's just the two meals without food or water. So it's become less uh, rigid. Rigid. Right. I was going to say pharisaical. Rigid is so that much better. better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you mentioning that because I know there are some people, for example, when I was pregnant, which was a lot, um, they always said, don't fast when you're pregnant. I now am reviewing that, and I think I could have still fasted. I could have fasted. I could have cut out bread and sweets and other things that wouldn't have in any way impacted my ability to function mm-hmm. pregnant. But it would, all, it would have given me that opportunity to be alert to what we were fasting about. And I think that there are different ways we can fast. President Nelson, of course, and I wish I had the exact scripture, and maybe we should get it, urged for a while ago all of the young women in the church at least to fast for two weeks no social media oh, right. at all. Right, right. A fast of social media. And I, I need think, to do that. Well, that was, he urged them to do it. Right. And I know many young women who did it and said it was really good for them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to worry about that fasting because I don't indulge in social See, media. I know you're so much better than that. <laughs> no, it's not better. I just, I just, just haven't managed to integrate it into my life oh, in a meaningful way. But okay. I do know that probably for me, not doing it has given me time to do things I must do. You know, That's I true. and I have a lot of things that I must do. You know, as a widow, you you don't have anybody exactly to fall back on, so you have yeah. to do it. But I think that that idea of fasting in different ways, taking something that we actually have easy access to and we're used to and we like out of our lives, mm-hmm. can clear the slates. Not only I love that in church we are asked to dedicate at least the money that we would have spent on food. And if we can, 10 or 20 times the money we would have spent on food to help those who are truly in need. And I I am grateful for that opportunity that is naturally part of the rhythm of our lives to give help to those in our immediate community because that money goes to our community. Fasting, fasting that can help us not only by donating what we eat, but it can help us keep in mind those whose needs are more serious than our own. And I feel, I will just say this, that when my daughter Charity was in the hospital, hanging between life and death, and I remember one of the sweet young women who had known her years before, um, um, Celeste Gallegos, organized a fast all over the world for Charity. And I felt the power of all those people making that sacrifice to help Charity. And um, yes, Charity did come through that time, but I will say the moral and emotional support that we felt was huge from that as well. Furthermore, what I have found is fasting can connect us to God. And the Savior allows us to follow him in that path. Fasting, taking ourselves away from the humdrum to prepare ourselves for our mission in life, whatever that might be, 
And it might be just as a mom, what do I do in this next month with my children? How do I deal with this particular issue? Fasting and spending some time focusing on it can make a huge um, well, help to us. Can I be a huge help love that comment about how it prepares us for whatever mission we have in life because that's exactly what the Savior was doing. And oftentimes it also helps us to prepare for temptations that come into our life. Yes. And that's what happens to the Savior after his this amazing experience of spiritual renewal, as you were ex- talking about. And I, I love this idea as we talk about the temptations that the Savior goes through after this spiritual experience. Because each one of them, we have three of them. It's interesting in the, the Luke version versus the Matthew version, they're, they're flipped. And, and I don't think that matters. It's the same three. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But so it, what's the flip? Well, the, the bread is the first one. Three. The bread is the same oh. in both of them. So but is two John and three the flipped. one? Is Luke, it Luke? Luke. Luke no, Luke them. has them go to the temple first and then the mountain. And so it's the other way in Matthew. So Matthew does interesting the mountain first and then. Wow, so the, I never knew that. Yep. So and I read them both. It didn't click. So <laughs> yeah, true. they're just flipped. And so uh, it's interesting that when you think of others. those three temptations, how uh, you know we can categorize them in a lot of different ways. But I kind of like to think of the first one being, of course, physical appetites. You know, turning because he must have been really hungry forty days and forty nights, and 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 he was there affirming to himself that he was the Messiah. Right. He knew this, right. but he was he was he wanted to be very sure before he went forward. Mm-hmm. And and what a temptation! You are the Messiah. You're the Creator. You can do this thing. Right. You're mm-hmm. hungry. You're really. It's been. 40 whole days and nights, you know, and he was weaker. And that's when Satan strikes with that ego lit thing. Right. You, you deserve this, you well, know. And it's interesting going with that comment, too. Satan uses the if every single time. He says, if like prove thou be the son of God. Mm. And then the second time, if thou be the son of God. And finally, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Which but, is oh. what he is confirming for himself. Right. right. Oh, that's really I good, agree. But I also think it's not a sin for him to turn the bread, and the stone to bread. It's not a sin. And none of them are what we would consider true sins. I mean, well, like really naughty things that you... Well, thrusting yourself down, I mean, you would die. If the angels hadn't come. Well, but they would have. But it was a proving thing. But it wasn't one of the commandments. I mean, he's not. But it was well, not, not killing was not yourself. Supposed to prove. <laughs> I mean, what I oh, love, what I <laughs> love is that the Savior knows the scriptures to respond. Right. Exactly. You know, he knows and he knows what this is really about. And he knows that actually it would be wrong for him. It would be wrong. It would be ego. It would be an it would be him Ooh. saying, I can do this. Right. I am powerful. Right. And I deserve this. Interesting. You know? So as we talk about the other two temptations, ahead, they're a little bit different. In terms of the second one is more of an emotional appeal, where he says, you know, thrust yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. And of course, we have that interesting thing. Going to the Joseph Smith translation, translation though, it's interesting. When you look in here, it talks about how the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. But if we look at here, it says Jesus was taken up into the holy city and the spirit totally. setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And just really quick, so, why don't you tell people what the pinnacle of the temple is? Because it is a little interesting you tell and that. it's my fun part. You tell that I mean, for, Go for well, it because I know you want to And you it. know, <laughs> no, I don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. just want to I know you do. <laughs> go <ahead>. But um, <laughs> I do love the fact that the wall around Jerusalem, there's one area where the wall is right up against the temple. Mm-hmm. And there's this huge valley below. And so to be on the edge of the temple, there's just one like big drop. And I wish I knew exactly how many feet it is, but it was a long it's way. It's big. It's... So that's, you know, this is the second one in, in terms of in Matthew. And when you think about that, that truly is an emotional appeal that also questions who you are and if God loves you. 
you know, and I thought about that a lot. And I mm-hmm. thought, how often do we question, you know, does God really love me? Am I truly a child of God? You know, will, will God save me if I try to commit suicide? Will he, you know, those kinds of questions. If thou be the Son of God, angels will come and save you. And and I think it's interesting to to think about what does that have to do with my emotional trials in terms of who I am as a daughter of God? To me, it makes so much sense that the Spirit created this experience. You know, I don't think Jesus was hauled up to the well, I don't think top da- of the, the temple. The by devil the, by wouldn't sa- have da- power. No, the devil wouldn't have power no, over the but Savior. I, but I believe that that makes so much sense and and that the savior could do these things these things were within his his power power right and he knew that this was not what the lord this was not the way he was to use his power right. while here on earth okay but it's just just making me sad because i think does the lord really put us in tribulations way on purpose to tempt us no, I don't well, think so because... Or I, allow us, I, because he would have lifted him there for this trial. And I think like with Job, he allows Satan to come. But of course, that's part of our, our earthly ministry. Uh, I don't believe is that, that we have, the Lord allows. That's, that's the reason why we're here on earth, is I, to be tried. And yeah. that's the reason why the Savior was being tried. I know. All of us have tried. But doesn't it just make you a little sad? No, well, no but the thing is... It's well, part of life. Well, it's, I know. it's very it's hard and... I don't believe that the Lord took him there to tempt him. I think he was taken and he was given this vision of what he was. And Mm -hmm. then the idea came. Then the devil came. Then Then the devil came. came. So a lot like Moses. I agree. As as we were combing this this time, I had some personal revelation personally about things in my own life where I have had, after a lot of prayer in difficult situations, a clear understanding of what the Lord wants me to do and how he wants me to respond. And then, whether it's a kid or whether it's like, yeah, but you know, you really should get this thing or you should. Mm -hmm. And it's the voice that is not the voice of peace. It is not the voice of love. It is not the voice that allows us to be an instrument in his hands. Exactly. Also on this third one, it's the importance of putting God the Father first. And I think that that's also interesting when you think of, you know, pride being involved in here. Interesting, because you know, in, in I always I'm thought it was about up. the money. <laughs> but well, money is a really... But that all I know it has to do with pride. Right? And there's you know, both that's sides. That's another God, There's right? poverty I mean, yes. pride and there's like wealth pride. But well, exactly. I think the next one is more the wealth pride, you know, because this one is is the pride of um, you know, this ruling over all but of a pride sort of a pure kind of a pride that God mm-hmm. will bear me up. The next temptation. Well, I think that's what the one you were talking about, right? Is the, is the oh, all yes. of this will be yours. All you oh, bow yes. down and worship that's me. Totally. That's and so that's, that's, that's where oh, it's yes. just that's funny where... that you were talking about pride, and I'm thinking money, so, yeah. <laughs> which is well, it has to do with pride. But. And and I do think that it's, whatever that all this is yours can be, because it doesn't always have to be money. I mean, right. it can also be you know uh, fame. It can be oh you know. Leisure. Well, well, right, leisure. It could be it's a power. Bunch of things for power, oh, power. Wow. Let the me tell power. you, many, many people who oh. reach lofty places in government or in governments. Right. Yes, there's You've had money, a lot of but the, it's not about, about, about the money it's to them anymore. The it's right. about the power, I, which is I hard to even understand. Power. No, no, so it's hard to understand if you haven't seen what it means. You but know, I know well, what you're saying. And isn't that interesting that Satan is basically saying, look, Give me your power. That's Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all of these But he things. doesn't own all those things. It's such a well, lie. On the earth. Well, but, you know, also he is the God earth. of this world. That's, that's you true. Know, he okay, is the okay, God you get of it. this world. You get it. But his I'm answers, <laughs> as you already said, Annette, his answers are always basically his words, words from the Old Testament. Yes. And the thoughts came back to me of John 1, 1 through 4, that we read last week. 
and specifically the Joseph Smith translation in terms of the words that Joseph Smith said, because he said, in the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word, and the Word was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. In him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life, and the life was the light of men. As I thought about that and the responses that the Savior gave to devil was all the word, you know, was his words, the words that he had given oh, as Jehovah. So he's, he's using pro- his own words. Which his I think is so beautiful. inspired oh, that is so words cool. that are inspired for all of us. For all and, of us. And we have that power in those words exactly. for us and as there well. Is. There's wow. light. Yes. There's light, light to, to and life. the darkness. Totally. I mean, that's the power of the word, is this idea of bringing light into our lives and the lives of others. The other thing that I want to bring up in terms of these, these verses about the temptations, Elder Holland, when he was president of BYU, gave such a powerful talk on these same verses. And he called his talk the, the um, Inconvenient Messiah. I loved that. I love that. And in terms of his point was that Satan wants us to be the convenient Christian. You know, basically, he wants us to go with the conveniences. You know, basically, when he comes to the Savior and says, make this, you know, into bread, you're hungry, go do it, you can. And Satan says, no, because that would have been the convenient thing to do. Instead, to wait the way he was supposed to, that was inconvenient and probably hard. I don't know about you, but it's a lot harder to fast at the end than it is to fast at the beginning. And so, you know, I, I saw that. He also specifically said, it is a temptation Jesus resisted. And so must we. Life was very inconvenient for the Savior. And unless I miss my guess, it will often be so for you and for me when we take upon us his name. So for me, that was so powerful to think about these temptations in terms of our own life. You know, when do we have temptations of physical appetites? When do we have temptations? Every day. <laughs> of, oh, yeah. When do we have temptations of pride or questioning who we really are? And, you know, do I have the love of God in my life always? And then questioning the word. You know, do we hold on to the iron rod, just like we were talking about the canon, that it becomes a part of who we are? Exactly, the canon. Don't you love that? I love that. Um, I love that. I think I think that um, this passage of Jesus is so powerful for us to understand these challenges, to be able to discern when it's the devil's voice. It's that voice that wants to make it easy, that's about us, that's about seeking our own, making it, seeking our own and seeking it fast, you know? And, um, <laughs> well, and when we resist, even though it may be hard in the moment, angels will administer it to will us help and we us. will feel I the agree. light I agree. and that life pouring into us as we are able to stay true to that vision because because the Lord's plan for us is always one that will bring us greater peace okay, and love. I do have one question. All right. So why does one he question? wait? Well, I have a million, <laughs> but that's okay. But um, why does he wait until the end to say, get thee hence, Satan? Why doesn't he do that with the first temptation? And then we would only have the one. Because they come back. He comes back in different guises. You know, it's I not know. like... Yeah. But, but you do wonder why that one... His answer is, and I think it's because maybe it was the first one that was a true commandment. Thou shalt worship the God only. And you know, like when you're working with someone and you're trying to help them, but then when they cross a certain line Get where they the want hands. to take you beyond right. the line mm-hmm. of what's right it's and like wrong, stop. Right. then say we're no. done. done. Right. <laughs> Just and no. so I don't know, but that was that's I just think that's, me. I think that's brilliant. I, I, along with that, though, another point that I wanted to bring up is that these temptations were also oftentimes experienced by other prophets. And so sometimes we talk about our own personal temptation and how to handle it like the Savior. But sometimes when we think about that, we think, well, but the Savior, he was the Son of God. Is there, 
you know, a, like a regular person who's gone through these same temptations. But is Moses and Joseph Smith regular? Well, <laughs> but I love the story of Ammon. And the reason why I love that in connection with this is because Ammon wasn't always a good guy. You know, he went through times where he made some mistakes and then he decided to change. And we're going to talk about that importance of rebirth as we go into, you know, later into John. But I think that we we can look at his experience as a missionary very similar to what happened to the Savior. And that originally when they're, you know, trying to go to the Lamanites on their way, they're really depressed, you know. And basically it says here, and it came to pass that they journeyed many days in the wilderness and they fasted much and prayed much that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his spirit to go with them and abide with them that they might be instruments. And it came to pass the Lord did visit them with his spirit and said unto them, be comforted. And they were comforted. Wow. So it is went through this. And then when he goes in, it's interesting because the first kind of temptation that he has to, all right, don't be a missionary anymore is when he comes in, he's bound, he's taken to the king, and the king immediately, I'm sure he was a pretty good-looking guy, you know, probably really strong. I mean, I love the pictures that we have of him. I mean, I'm, you know, I'd be like, wow, you know, you're, you're good-looking. And so the king says, well, you know what? I, I really like you, Ammon. And right there at the beginning, he said, why don't you take one of my wives? I mean, one of my daughters, daughters to wife. Right. And, <laughs> but his answer is, nay. I will be thy servant. Nice. Then he goes and he's the That's servant. Very good example. And on top of that, he starts basically, you know, killing all these people and doing all this stuff where they're like, wow, you know, you, you're pretty amazing. And so, you know, at this point, they think he's the great spirit. Oh. They think he's, he's God who knows all things. And that's where it's like cast down and prove it to everybody. I read one example, sorry, of the pinnacle of the temple, and they said if Christ had cast him down, that there's many people that would have seen it. And so he would have thrown himself on the stage as this huge miracle worker instead of this quiet beginning in Galilee. And so it would have changed everything. Oh, that's so interesting. But it is interesting because it's the same thing where he does this spiritual thing and instead of like, pa-da, it's it's very it's much more quiet. It comes from the inside out. In fact, he is always the savior is always telling the lepers and others who he heals, don't don't, don't make a big deal about right. it. Right? Don't make a big don't, deal. They don't obey him. <laughs> but but his he doesn't want that right. to be the way that, that people come to him into the heart. And Ammon does the exact same thing. Because, I mean, he could have. I mean, come on, they right. thought he was a god. And then he goes and, and does the But then he thing. says, and what I love is that he says, um, you know, what do you want me to grant? I'll grant you everything. I'll give you everything. And I love this. Now, Ammon being wise yet harmless. Oh. And then he says, And he cut off all those Wilt thou hearken <laughs> unto my words? And then he goes on to teach him the gospel. Beautiful. So what a great example we have in Ammon of following very much the same pattern as the Savior. Wow. Yes. In terms of the fasting and then the temptations that he had. And being a regular person as opposed to... And wanting, well, wanting people to as an understand example. what the real source of truth exactly. and renewal is. It is this relationship with the Lord and a pure wow. and deep. You know, it reminds me of Elisha when, um, when um, oh, go wash in the river. Oh, Naaman. Um, Na- oh, Na- Naaman. Yeah, right. You know, and then afterwards, he comes back to give all these gifts to the sure, prophet. Sure, sure. And, and he says, says, no. no I and then his servant. And then his servant. Go, and, that's and then no he becomes problem. a leper. Yes. Right. But, but I think it's the same kind of spirit. This wasn't, this isn't about me doing a miracle. Exactly. This is about you listening to the Lord and doing what the and Lord I think it's, wants you to. I think it's interesting too, if you think of that story and what Ammon was able to accomplish, what would have happened if he had, at the first temptation, married the princess? Or at this, you know, the exactly. next temptation, if he had said, 
yep, I'm the great spirit. You know, I'll take <laughs> over your kingdom. And and yet, because he didn't do those things, think of all the people he brought into the Well, gospel. think about poor Aaron sitting there languishing in the prison with his other brothers. They never would have been released. <laughs> they never would have been released. You're absolutely right. So I it know. wasn't just him, but poor the way Aaron he helped the other missionaries. Mission because it was because of him that King Lamoni's father even. Anyway, yeah. you think no, about it. It's, like it's dominance. It's, it, exactly. And dominoes. we see a pattern because that period when they were fasting and languishing and kind of depressed right. on the way to their mission was nevertheless a wilderness experience, it was I'm a sure. Wilderness experience. And I am sure during that time, the vision of what they were set to do was implanted deeply in their hearts. And so when those I temptations agree. were put before him, he was able to say no. That's not part of the plan. Right. I want to say, That's not what I'm you know, do. Sister Holland wrote a book, and I'm trying to remember the name of the book. I know she gave it to me. It was a wonderful, sweet book. And in it, there was a section where she said that sometimes, and I love that about her because from the time I knew her when she was young, she would be very open about the challenges, the right. spiritual challenges she faced. She said sometimes she felt there were so many things and she didn't know what she should do next. And she would clear everything off her agenda, and just pray. And she said sometimes it was for three hours, sometimes four hours. Sometimes it took a day or even longer to pray fast and understand what were the priorities the Lord wanted me to I love have. that. And she said, people say how, and when I was reading it, I was like, that sounds crazy, and I don't know how I could do it. You know, Mariana, you and I had and you too. We all had many, <laughs> many children. Right. And and it see and the idea of clearing any space in there was always challenging. But what Pat said was, how much better to let things go undone for a few hours, a day, but then to emerge knowing with greater clarity what the Lord wants you to do. Otherwise we can just be like chickens with our heads cut yeah. off, you know. Right. But for me the temple is always the place, especially while I was raising my children, where I would have that experience. You told us. Because honestly, being home with all my children, that wouldn't happen, you know, in terms of having that quiet space. But for me, going to the temple every week, even while I was raising my children, that was my special private time to have that priority, which I think is so powerful. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And not everyone can go to the temple. I do believe that when we when we aren't able to, that the Lord will allow us to create that space. A temple spot. Sometimes it's in your car. <laughs> That's true. Where the children are not. Or in the shower. Oh, I find That's the right. shower is a great place you to know, think. Yeah. I don't know. It's true. Well, the thing that keeps on coming to my mind is that idea of when we hit a wilderness in our life. Yeah. When we hit a place where you just feel empty and low, and it can be grief, it can be just sometimes like... I want to say hormonal change, <laughs> but it can be, um, but there's multiple reasons why we hit that wilderness. It could be dealing with a very difficult child and you're just at your wits end and it's drowned everything. And this idea of going to the wilderness, communing with God, communing with God is such a, a new idea for me and such a gift. And, and of course we, you know, you do it naturally, but to do it intentionally yes. is so important. I think I that, and, and we may face really wacky temptations, but when we overcome them, we'll be ready. And as we fortify ourselves by intentionally seeking that communion and we'll that be direction, ready for those temptations we will that be won't ready. come anyway. We will. You know, I do think <laughs> we can preempt them. I agree. Oh, wow. But along with that, during the wilderness time, gaining that testimony ourselves that Jesus is the Messiah is also something that will take us through. And that's, as you were pointing out, that's one thing that he, that the Savior was doing, wow. was gaining his oh. understanding of what his okay, mission now was. now you're racking me up because the very next thing that happens exactly. is he goes to the synagogue exactly. and he knows who he is. And he knows who he is and he oh, bears wow. testimony. Yes. <laughs> and he bears yes. testimony. Okay, that was yes. a really good segue, but I had never yes. made that connection. Okay, so... Thank you. <laughs> I'm very impressed. So anyway, we always say, as we talk about Christ being the Messiah, that the Jews were looking forward to a Messiah that would free them from Roman rule. And you think, 
how could they have been, I, this is so awful to say, and no, I don't no, think okay. it now, but um, how could they have been so foolish? How couldn't they have seen yada, 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 yada? But as I started researching, and in the Sperry Symposium, there's some great articles, and if you go to our blog at womenreadscripture.com, I will have that there so you can read it if you want to read the Sperry uh, Symposium um, information. But they said that those Isaiah scriptures were thought to be fulfilled through Hezekiah. So for unto us a child is born. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, well, for unto us a child is born, but also a virgin will conceive. Right. Hezekiah was the first son of Ahaz. And so because his wife hadn't had a child before and she was covenant, she would be considered a virgin that would have a son. And then that son miraculously saved them because you think the 10 tribes were taken by this huge Assyrian empire and they were kept safe through incredible miracles. And they were miracles. In their mind, those scriptures had already been fulfilled. I never knew that. I was shocked. So it wasn't until Daniel that they were looking for a new deliverer. So that idea of a deliverer you see over and over and over again. But in Daniel, right after the lion's den, Gabriel comes to Daniel. And you have those beautiful, wacky verses. And I'm not going to talk about the second coming, but they're really fun and you can play with them well. Sorry, but you can. Um, But then at the end of all of his seeing the beasts and seeing the end of the world, um, Gabriel comes one more time. And this is the scripture. This is the first time that he talks about it again. And it says, yay. Um, Sorry, this is Daniel... Chapter 9, 25 and 26. And so um, at the very beginning, it says that, and I'm going to read 21. Sorry, I'm starting with that one. Yea, while I was speaking, think, uh, talking about Daniel, in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. And this is the understanding. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. And this is the first time we've talked about the Messiah, the Prince. That um, Are you shaking your head like you've heard this before? Is this new for you? Because it was new for me. Oh, no. Um, I've heard it before. Um, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall even in uh, tumultuous times. And the thing I was going to tell you about was that three score and uh, I just said, what was it? And seven weeks. The (laughs) weeks are seven years. So, you know, the seven years. And if you multiply, it comes out to 400. And I have to look here. 83 years. And that number is identical. You know, there's 400 years in the dead part of the Bible. Sure. They would have come up to that number exactly. Did you know that? Yes. So they all know the Messiah was coming. I knew that just because, yeah, I know it. And it's like, not everyone knew. Right. But But if you understood the scripture. Yes. But, and, but, you know, they weren't. And of course, we know this is the thing that the scriptures were not massively available. There was right. no printing right. press. The scribes but they did were have the synagogue, scriptures. right? They did yeah. have the synagogue, and they and were reading. This would have been yes, part of the law, so they would have read it. Yes. Remember, the synagogues were then created at the time of Daniel. They started them in Babylon, yes. And then when they all came back That's to Jerusalem, right. they set them up in every city, That's and they met three times a week. They met Monday, they met Thursday. Am I lying? Monday, Thursday, and then the Sabbath which is Saturday, their Saturday. And so three times a week, they would start with the Shema, which was three scriptures. Shema. Oh, Shema. 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 Okay. <laughs> See, I do that all the time Should because I... know that. You read it. it. I don't know. Of course. Know. Yeah. Right. So I'm terrible. Oh, well, I, and I, you know, I no, say lots of Hebrew so with a Hungarian here. accent because uh-huh. I That's right. emphasize the first But they the first were syllable. they were three Syllables. scriptures in Deuteronomy and they would be the same ones and, and numbers. And then... They would have someone read from the law and the prophets. And my understanding is almost wherever you were, everyone read the same thing. So it was yes. a lot like, it's come like, follow we, me. Totally. Right. Right. It's still like that. It in is. Jew, in, in Jewish synagogues, there is readings and they are prescribed just like we have. 
Which um, is everybody's wonderful. reading the same Everyone's thing. Everyone's reading right. the same isn't thing. That, isn't that, I think so that's is, so wonderful. It is, it is great. wonderful. And then after they finished the reading, they would stand to do the reading, and then they would sit and, and deliver a sermon. And the reason why you stood when you read versus sitting when you sat is because those are your words and not the words of God. And so um, that's what Christ did. So right after the temptations, he went, and I have to change to that page, and it says, and we're in Luke 4... Um, right at the top, right at starting in, no, no, I lied. I'm on the wrong page. Sorry. Where am I, Mariana? <laughs> and you're at 17. Oh, am I at 17? 17 is where Oh, here it is. Start. Okay. Yep. Starting in 18. So, um, it says that there it came. And he came to Nazareth. I'm going to start in 16. Sorry. Okay. I have it underlined and starred, and I didn't see it. Um, okay, so in Luke 4, 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as uh, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet, and it's Isaiah. It says Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister, and he sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so, in essence, he said that. But remember, the Messiah wouldn't have been, that's not blasphemous. Right. It's no. odd. He was, he knew. Right, but he could days. be another, right, but he could be another deliverer. And so it wasn't blasphemous for Hezekiah to say he was going to save the people. It wasn't right, blasphemous to be a for the Maccabees right. to save them from the Persians. That was not blasphemous. It wasn't because of blasphemy they do what they later do. What they do is because of what he says to them. Because look at their reaction. Look at this. It says, all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So they could feel something, right? but they didn't put it in the right place. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And then they asked him to do some miracles, but were told, and I think it's in uh, Matthew, that he couldn't do miracles because they didn't have faith. He said, you know, I felt that, I don't know, but I, I know that part, and I think it's very interesting. He said, he, the Savior says to them, I know you want me to do miracles, <laughs> like I did right. over in Israel, was it Capernaum, I forget. Yes. Um, and um, what he says, and this was very interesting to me, he said, I am, he, he basically says, I am not called to do them here in my own home. Right. Nobody is going to actually believe that I am the well, Messiah here in right. my own home. But it really reminded me a little bit of callings. That, uh -huh. And when you are called, for example, to be, for example, a bishop or the president of Relief Society, and then you pray about who should be your counselors, you can't just choose who is the most convenient person <laughs> to you have to be. Listen to you have to listen to the promptings you get from the Lord. And I felt that here, that he was prompted that this was not the place where he was supposed to well, do but these I, miracles. I, I think it was more than that, right. though. I do think that it was also, it, because in the scriptures afterwards... I think it's Matthew 13, is it? Mm. Well, no, I'm I'm staying in Luke. If you go to Luke twenty four, you know we're we're in Luke four, but if you go in verses twenty five, twenty six, and twenty seven, he's he describes kind of what's happening, and he says, "But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias." Well, I'm going to talk about that later. Okay. Oh, but okay. what I wanted to say was right. that in Matthew thirteen. It talks about the specific experience, but right, it gives it a different way. And it says in Matthew 13, 57 and 58, they were offended in him, but Jesus said, a prophet is not with not honor, save in his own country. And he did not many miracles because of their unbelief. Right. So that's the same experience. And it wasn't because he was constrained. It was because they didn't have the faith. And without the faith... Well, they were asking for a sign. Right. They and weren't so doing it, it for faith. They were do asking for a sign. But it right. says right there he couldn't do them because of their unbelief. 
So because of their unbelief. But then his words that we're talking about, I just wanted to put in, in context. So Galilee is at the very top part of Israel. And they had two enemies that especially the Galileans hated. And one was the Phoenicians and the other one was the Syrians. Mm -hmm. And it was like the Hatfields and McCoys. They hated them because you had the Danites in that area. You had the Zealots. You had the pre-Zealots, the groups of people with Hezekiah as the leader that were like Robin Hood right. that would, you know, get rid of the caravans that would come through there. So you had all of this background of hate between these people. And so Christ's answer after he can't do any miracles because of their unbelief is he says what you were saying. He says there were many widows um, in the day of Elias, and it would have been Elijah, mm -hmm. when the earth right. was shed up. Right. But look who he chooses. He sent um, a, a widow from the city of, of Sidon, right. which is right in Phoenicia, mm -hmm. is a Phoenician. And they hate the Phoenicians. And then he goes on and he says, and many leopards were in Israel. He didn't choose a leper in Israel. He chooses one from Syria. Syria. So it's the two people they hate. So what they do is they grab Jesus. And it says, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Yeah. They were so angry because he's saying that their two mortal enemies, Syria and Phoenicia, are better than them. And they are so mad. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and they led him unto the brow of a hill whereupon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. So this is not a stoning that's righteous. This is, they're just plain mad and they're throwing him off a cliff. And that's what it is. And have you ever stood on that cliff? Have you been on that cliff? I have been on that cliff. I love it. And it's, you look down. It's and you're pretty like, amazing. It is so you amazing. Go, like you go, I would die. I would I would die and be Oh, you'd you so know, die. And yeah. it's like all rocks below. And it's very I haven't very... been on that tour. I've been oh. in Israel a lot, but I... <laughs> And it's, it's so a, funny it's because incredible. um we hear about that, but it wasn't like later this happens. Remember when they bring the woman in adultery to him mm -hmm. and then he preaches in the temple and then he talks about Abraham and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. And that was in Jerusalem. And when that happens, he flat out is saying, I'm Jehovah. Right. And in that time, they're going to stone him, which would be the law if you were blasphemous. But this isn't blasphemy. This is flat out just Angry. Anger. And so I thought about what President Nelson had said in April 2022 about conflict and anger. And I remember when he said it because I sometimes have road rage. I live in Rexburg. I'm surrounded by teenage drivers. And sometimes I just want to get out and slap them. But I don't. I don't. But um, anyway. <laughs> That's smart. I'm so glad. I'm glad you don't. I'm glad. In Denver, they shoot you. So, you know. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> So anyway, but, Washington, um, DC, but this is what yeah. President Nelson did when he called me to repentance. And I'm doing better. I am doing better. Anyway, he says, my call today, so it's a call to repentance, dear brothers and sisters and Christine, is to end conflicts that are raging in your heart, your home, and your life. Bury any inclination to hurt others, even if they almost destroy your family by smashing into your side. Whether no. those, sorry, he didn't say that. Even if those inclinations... Um, tend to be temper, a sharp tongue, or resentment for someone who has hurt you. It can be painfully difficult to let anger go that feels so justified. And yet the Savior, Savior admonishes us to forgive all men. And then I, and he ends with, I know what I'm suggesting is not easy, but followers of Jesus Christ should set the example for all the world to follow. I plead with you to do all you can to end personal conflicts that are raging in your hearts and in your lives. And I think that that wow. is what happened. They couldn't hear the Savior. They couldn't see the Savior because they were... But, but he did push their buttons. I mean, these well, are the things. Yeah, you I know, know. Imagine but... he was just like one of the kids from the junior high school, you know, and now he's coming back. I mean, that's what he was to them. It's right. true. Oh, actually, Isn't this Joseph's nice son? Kid, Isn't nice right. kid from the junior high school, but still coming and saying that he was the Messiah. Well, he, and that it wasn't words it was are okay that he was the Messiah, him. but it was more than that. It well, was that they had said 
your enemies are better than you are. These yeah. non-covenant Jews yeah. in the places that you care about. Because he could have been. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they did say his words were full of grace. But when he went and wouldn't do miracles among them, and then he compared them to people he hated, it was road rage. They were just out oh, of it. Oh, it's so interesting, you know, because I see it differently, mm -hmm. which is interesting. I mean, I think that's very interesting. I, I see it very differently and that when he did these miracles... I'm not, I don't think he's saying that these that they were better, that that's why they got the miracle. Right. I don't think so. I think that that was the person to whom oh, Elijah yes, was I sent. Well, yeah, I think that, didn't mean it that, that, way, that, this, that this was the person who was rescued right. from another ill. And that that is not, it's like when Jesus said to John and James, it is not for me to tell you who's going right. to sit on my right hand right. and my left hand. Right, exactly. Right. So, but in, in but there wasn't an emotional appeal when he used mm -hmm. as the examples the people yes. that they hated. Yeah, I'm sure hated. that was true. That was and true I think too. that that's what woke up that wrath. Yes. Was that, like, how dare you? But the um, I guess the beauty of it was that in the end, um, and this is so cool, they're about to throw him off. And do you know how he gets away? Do you remember? He just By the walks. spirit. Oh, I, I have know. a I have a story about that that's really short. He passed but... <laughs> through the midst and went away. He just yeah. oh my gosh, the man. spirit just yeah. takes him away. I, I I should have thought about this a little more, but um, so we are our Human Rights Foundation awarded this wonderful Chinese man. He's blind. He was a healer actually, and a, and a lawyer in his community. Blind. He became very popular. Um. And he had stood up to something in the government. And there were people who came to take him away. They, they, they were, mm -hmm. He was under house arrest. And they were going to, um, they were going to um, probably put him in, in prison in, mm -hmm. in China. And many, many protesters came and they just were all around his house. And he just walked out. And he walked away. Oh, isn't it was, that amazing? Oh, I can't believe that I can't remember his yeah, the spirit. wonderful blind Chinese man. You can wow. find him on the internet. He lives in, in, in New York now oh, wow. with his wife and his lovely children. But it was so interesting because it was exactly the same. I know. He walked through the midst of them. And there were the Chinese police there. Everybody was there. But he somehow with the spirit was the spirit able to walk. Takes him away. And then he walked all the way to the American embassy. Oh, wow. and they and, and the th Lord they can let protect you. you. Well, and Christ does that again when right. he was about to be stoned. In the other example, I told you where he tells his divinity, he walks away and passes through them. And I always think when I hear that, that poor Judas Iscariot, he knew these stories, and he probably thought, "Oh, Christ is just going to walk away," you know, when he didn't realize that um, because because he did have these magical moments of. Because so it wasn't his time. Right. It, it wasn't, wasn't his, his time. time. It yeah. wasn't his time. But we don't need to push them or no. do anything like close to what he did. No. But but there would have been these, these you know, miracle savings. Well, I think it's also interesting to see after this experience in Nazareth, he leaves Nazareth. And, and he what we back. he doesn't go back. Ever again. And when he leaves Nazareth, the next thing that, that we have... Basically, in in Luke is this gathering of his apostles and and how they just leave everything and follow him, which is yes. pretty amazing. That is, it is as fishers um, of men, fishers of men, which is such um, a beautiful. Should we talk about that a little bit? Yes, then, we'd then. love it. So you know that is that is um, this next wonderful part of the Savior's mission as he gathers. These intimate companions will be with him, see his work, and carry it forward. And um, I love there. There are different renditions of this story too. In in Mark and in Matthew, it is quite straightforward. He sees Simon Peter and Andrew, and they are both their brothers and their fishers. Right. And Jesus calls them, saying, "Follow me." and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway, they left their nets and followed him. I love the immediacy. Also, and the same happens. He sees James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Um, both of these accounts in Matthew and Mark are short and very direct. In um, 
Luke, we get a different backstory, mm-hmm. which is that they're, they've been fishing and they are there. And Jesus comes, he wants to speak, and he gets into the boat and says, can you push me out? And they, they respect him. They push him out. And he speaks to these masses who are following him at this point from there. And then, and then he says, I think it's to Peter, oh, and come back in the boat and, you know, throw your nets on the side. You'll get a good catch. And Peter's like, no, no, you know. We haven't we, gotten a good catch yeah, all no, day. I, 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 we've been about? trying all night. Yeah, we've right, been, we've been trying. Been all night and haven't gotten a single thing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to work. Right. And he says, just do it. So just do it. they follow <laughs> him. They, they begin this path. Follow him. They put it in. And of course, you know, the huge take. And then he says that they should leave their nets mm-hmm. and follow him. And they do. Now, I think that it's interesting because... I love that there are several examples where there was no miracle involved. And I think that sometimes we are blessed to have miracles that lead us to experience the wonder and power of the Savior. But sometimes it's just something that speaks to our heart. Mm. And I think that many, you know, when, when we share with others opportunity to, for example, gain a conviction or a testimony that the Book of Mormon is actually revealed scripture. We have a scripture in Moroni 10, 15, Mm -hmm. is that right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a scriptorian in that way. Um, That says, if you pray with real intent, nothing wavering, with a desire to know, a sincere desire to know, then the Spirit of God will reveal the truth of this of all things to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a very quiet thing and you know it and that's all you need to know and you can follow for the rest of your life. I will say when when I was searching for truth, that is what happened to me. I had to clear all these levels of insincerity Mm -hmm. out of my spirit. They were like, you know, onion peeling it back. But when I got to the place where I was sincere, and I wasn't saying what I thought was going to be true mm-hmm. and what wasn't going to be true. But I was just going to the Lord and saying, let me know. I knew. Wow. And I knew with such power that that was it. I yeah. started to follow him. I was baptized. Wow. And that was, I never turned back from that it's experience. Amazing. So it I think miracle. it's neat that there are it's, both. It may not be an external miracle, but it's an internal miracle. It is. It is and I think that there, it's wonderful that in the scriptures we see two ways, you know. Sometimes there are manifestations that are powerful. Um, I, I love that they went immediately. Elder Maxwell had a wonderful talk in the October 1974 conference, which was a long time a little while ago. He was at that point not an apostle. He was in it. He was a um, counselor. He was, an, mm-hmm. he was a, an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve. And I love that he said, Joshua didn't say, choose you next year whom you will serve. <laughs> he spoke of this day while there is still daylight and before the darkness becomes more and more normal. When Jesus called his first disciples, the scriptures record that they left their ships, their ships and nets straightway. They didn't asked to join Jesus after the fishing season, they left their nets straightway. Wow. And um, I think this is how we want to train ourselves to heed the Spirit. Um, I have been trying, and I can think of times when I didn't respond to a prompting straightway. Oh. And then it was too late. You know, I, I have one beloved old friend, and of course we were very dear friends, But I and life was crazy, and you know, million... Ex- but the Spirit was telling me, go, go and visit her now. And I was like, I'll do it. I just, I, and, I, you know, and, every, and I didn't do it. And she died. Oh. oh, oh. I didn't do it straightway. At least I'm grateful the Lord has allowed me to see what happened there. And hopefully I do better now in listening to those promptings. I, I urge people to understand that the Lord will speak to us in quiet but direct ways. And we are so wise not to push those off, not to think they're just one other thing, but understand this, if it is a good, if it is valuable, if it is inconvenient, it's probably the spirit. Mm-hmm. It probably is. Um, we are coming to the 
end of our time. But before we do so, I think it is so powerful to think of some of the other stories that are here. And I think it's important for us just to at least mention them. I think one of the the difficulties of trying to jam-pack everything that's in here in just an hour, sometimes we have to lose some of the most precious parts. That's true. Um, I did want to just mention about the man of the palsy who's let down through the ceiling. And I think of that beautiful story of forgiving sins versus saying, you're lame, get up and walk. And how, you know, the Lord teaches us the power of it's probably more powerful to forgive our sins Much more than powerful. to say to someone. Much more powerful. Which is not, you know, wonderful for us to realize because sometimes we want those physical blessings yes. when the spiritual blessings. And it's so, so important, important to understand that, you know, I, I've been so close to such an intensely angelic ch- woman. You know, my daughter really was an exceptionally mm-hmm. wonderful person. And no, the Lord did not relieve her spiritual, her physical illness, though he did right. give her many wonderful years with it. But her spirit was unbounded and given so much opportunity to soar. And that's the true miracle. Exactly. The other one that I want to just quickly mention was the bridegroom. We do have a bridegroom wonderful verse here. And I know, do you have just a quick thought about the bridegroom? Right. And the the part through 11, and it actually was, we're doing Luke 5, 1 through 11. Yes. Um, It it is the story of of the, the ships, but the interesting thing about it, and you told it wonderfully with him saying, put it on the other side, and he pulls up all of these fish, you know, Christ tells them. And then Simon Peter recognizes Christ for who he is. And when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet. And do you know what he says? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Yes, I know And so right. instead of embracing the Christ like Nathaniel, remember? Right. Nathaniel's is like, you're the son of God, and is so excited. He's pushing him away. And I loved this story because it's just a foil to at the very end of his life right. when Christ has appeared to him resurrected. And this is in John 21, 3 through 4 and 7. But I'm not going to turn there because we're in such a hurry. But I will tell you, Christ is, the resurrected Christ has appeared a number of times, but then has left. And they don't know where they're going to see him again. And so you just get this grumpy little Peter. Sorry, I should, but that's how I think of him saying, well, I'm going fishing. And they're like, okay, we'll all go fishing. And they fish all night. And then the morning comes. They don't catch anything. Right. And the morning comes and someone calls from the shore and says, did you catch anything? And they're like, it's salt in the wound. And um, he's like, why don't you put it on the uh, your nets other in the side, other so it's side? The same. And John, the beloved, says, I think it's Christ, right? No, it's Christ. And Peter throws jumps on in. his clothes and right. jumps in the water and just swims as fast as to the Savior. And the difference between depart from me versus running to the Savior, swimming to the Savior, is so extreme. And I think the difference is when he gets with Christ and they eat, and he says, lovest thou me? Right. And you hear him say, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And that line between being the fearful and worrying about yourself versus worrying about the Savior is all about love. And I think when we talk mm-hmm. about strengthening our testimonies, we have to learn to love the Savior. It's true. I wanted to end on this one one thought. In Luke, um, it talks, we also have the story of the cleansing of the temple. And as we talk about the cleansing of the temple, I know that, but the reason I, I wanted to end, I wanted to end on that because we talk about love bringing in this idea of, we, we talked about sacrifice, we talked about fasting, you know, we've had all these d- descriptions. But the whole point, I think, with the cleansing of the temple goes with this idea of we're kind of ending with the beginning, fasting, giving up, becoming sacred, making, making sure, pure. making pure, oh, wow. you know, all of these things and that we've been talking boundaries. about. 
So I, I want to end with a, a, a wonderful thought that from Elder Uchtdorf. He says, true religion should not originate from what pleases men or the traditions of ancestors, but rather from what pleases God, our eternal Father. Wow. And for me, that's kind of the essence of everything that we've been talking about, sure. that that's what we're striving for, is to do what pleases him. And to understand what that is. Exactly. And, and, and that might be through fasting. That might be through loving him. And, and I think that, you know, one, one little piece I'd like to add is mothers, because I think, you know, this is important for us, that this idea of cleansing the temple, of making this place pure, you know, they, when, when Jesus came there, you know, it was this magnificent, magnificent edifice. And it was probably in the court of the Gentiles that, that these sales were going on. Right. And he was outraged, outraged that this stuff was going on in, in his house. They turned the temple to and, Disneyland. And right. it's like people right. would come from right. all yes. over. And, and, and um, um, what, what I think, you know, we are, are called to also try to keep pure spaces where our families are, where we, and it's not easy. But the Savior, they were wondering, they let him do it, and they said, where is this authority from that you are doing this? I think we as mothers, as parents, need to assume our appropriate authority in our homes right. and lovingly try to maintain a level of purity in language, in what people watch, in how they conduct themselves with one another I agree. lovingly. And I think that it it is, we are not the creators of the world. We are not the same. But we are creators in our own little homes, and we have to take that authority. I sometimes feel, I will tell you, I feel an absence without my husband. I felt like I was stronger when he was here. I have fortunate, I have many wonderful children who I sure. think take that responsibility themselves. But I do feel that as the Savior assumed his Authority and you know it's from Psalm sixty nine. They said where he said the zeal for thy thy house will devour the zeal for thy house will devour me. You know the right. zeal wow. to cleanse his home. And we have to have the same that zeal. We have to have a zeal. Have to have that zeal. Exactly. I agree. I agree. <gasps> Thank you for those wonderful, wonderful thoughts, and especially bringing it back to us as mothers and how important it is that we keep our places and homes pure. So I appreciate you being with us today. Mm -hmm.